Welcome to Midlife Opportunity, where you can avoid a midlife crisis and instead take the opportunity that is yours, that is the thing that you've earned as a man of a certain age. What age is that? Well, that age is 40, 50, 60, and anywhere else in between. So be proud, be loved, be yourself, and enjoy the opportunity that life gives you. My name is Dr. Connor Hogan, and I have a great guest today a man of this age group that we're just after talking about. His name is Troy Stavot. He's going to tell us a really incredible experience he's had in his life today. He's a very successful man in business, but also he's had his challenges along the way in his midlife too, and how he has interacted with those challenges, how he has faced them, and how he's come out the other side. So it's going to be really interesting. We're going to touch on the worst of things, death. And of course, in a business sense, the worst of things are taxes. So maybe Troy will talk about that as well. Who knows? But for now, let's think about exactly the context of this show, right? We're talking about death. It happens to everybody. I had somebody yesterday in a conversation just by complete chance, and we spoke about the fact that they had the first big relation of theirs at 43 years of age. That was the first time they had to go through this whole kind of funeral um, burial type of situation. And then I recalled myself where my uncle passed away. I think I must have been about 33 years of age. And ironically, then I saw, well, that's the year of our Lord, isn't it? And so life can be intermingled with death. And how does our mind interact with that? And that's what we're going to be talking about today. But first, have you got a midlife crisis going on? Do you want to be on this show? Do you want to share your story? Well, you're very welcome to do that. You can reach out to me at docconnor.com. That's D-O-C-C-O-N-O-R.com or midlifeopportunity.show. You can shoot me an email on connor, C-O-N-O-R, at docconnor.com. Or you can check out all the regular social medias, the Twitters, the Facebooks, the Instagrams, the TikToks, and the YouTubes. And you'll see me on that too. So back to Troy, back to what we're talking about today. Before we meet Troy, we have to look at what is grief, okay? There was an American psychiatrist way back. She, well, actually, she was famous in America. And we all, with this silly Irish accent, maybe I will be too, who knows? But she was actually Swiss, right? Think of the Swiss Army Knight. But she got famous in America and all around the world for, for five stages of grief. Her name was Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And the stages that she identified happened to be denial, number one, two, anger, then bargaining. Then we go to depression and finally acceptance. Now, there are other models that include not just the initial stages that we're talking about there, where there's anger and there's denial and so on, but there could be an upward turn with regard to your depression, there could be shock and denial even before all of that. And some say there's seven stages. So to keep it simple today, we're looking at the five stages and how we're looking at this real life example here with Troy and how he's used this in some way to create a better life for himself within his business and perhaps his family. So think about it for a second. Have you ever been depressed? Have you ever been in denial when somebody goes? There's grief there, isn't there, initially? Or do you like, are you depressed right now thinking about this? You know, the great thing about these stages 
for people is that they do occur, but they're all very individualistic. That's where it's complex if we look at it from here on in, if you haven't suffered a death in your life. But if it's individualistic, if you've gone through it once, I'm sure you can go through it again and you know what to expect. And that's the self-awareness that I touched on in the very first show. And that's why if you have a midlife crisis or you feel you have a midlife crisis, you still have the opportunity to react in a different way through the experiences that you've had. So until that, great interview coming up right after this break. Make sure you take your opportunity, your midlife opportunity, to watch these great advertisements. Come back and let's watch and listen to the great Troy. We'll be back after this. What do you think you're doing, Kevin? I was just gonna drive home. Ah, uh, ah, uh, uh, there are several warning signs present that you shouldn't be driving. Like hearing voices? Like your text to emoji ratio? Oh man, the selfies. <laughs> selfies nailed it. We all have warning signs that let us know that we're probably not okay to drive. Mine is pretending to be your subconscious. Craig, come on man, let's put a ride home. Welcome back to Midlife Opportunity. My name is Dr. Connor Hogan, and today we have a very interesting interview. You can get in touch with us, though, on midlifeopportunity.show, or you can get in touch with me on www.docconnor.com. Reach out, let me your story, or if you want, come on the show. For now, though, we're going to go into a great interview with a great guy. His name is Troy Stovell. But as we introduce him, I want you to keep your fun cap on because I think he's got a good sense of humor. I'm looking forward to it. Have you got a good sense of humor, Troy? I, I try to think. I think humor is something that is um, it's a management tool that I don't think is used as much as it could, can and should be. And I think part of humor is self-depreciating. You have to have uh, a humility about yourself in order to truly use it in, in, in its best way. Well, I'm looking forward to uh, digging a little bit deeper now in these next few minutes with regard to how you used, you know, coping mechanisms and everything uh, to get through sure. what you've got through and, and to hear, of course, about that as well. But first, let's have a little bit of fun. Let's time it for a minute yeah. or less. A midlife minute, <laughs> Okay. So, Troy, I want to ask you, how fast can you spell your name backwards? Go. Why? O-R-T. <laughs> that was clever because I was uh, I was expecting the whole one because, of course, you have a middle name. Isn't that right? Troy A. Le, is it Lemale? Well, no. So uh, short version of it, I drew up Troy Stovall and I still use that. But I, I found out at 18 that my dad who raised me was not my biological father. And his. Oh, my God. We're going uh, into a big story was... here. And we're still on the minute. We're still on the minute. Yeah, so you know, you're right. You're right. You're uh, right. Sorry. Go, I go, have to interrupt. Go, okay. Go. All right, number two. Go. What was the name of the idyllic place that Red and Shawshank Redemption wanted to return to? Oh, it was the, uh, well, there was the tree and then there was the beach. I can't remember which one you preferred to. Definitely the tree where the, the treasure was, and then he went to the beach where he ended up having his boat. A minute has gone, but yeah, but we didn't get the name, but maybe we might figure it out. Maybe a listener might figure it out. What's your favorite color and white? 
Uh, blue. Uh, I just love the color blue, the shades of blue. Uh, cool. A is multiplied by nine. Last question. Say it again. Ace multiplied by nine. Ninety-nine. Mm, or nine. Ninety-nine cone here. Depending on how you, the ace could be one or eleven, so you know it depends on you know if you're playing yeah. you know blackjack. <laughs> you like to play cards, I'm sure too. So you're a bit of a player. But I want to find out about how you play business in life as well. So tell us this, Troy. First off, where you're from. What is your business? I know it, it helps a lot with the whole local economy there uh, about where you are in Maryland. But can you just give us a little bit deeper of a synopsis of how your business life is right now? Yeah, thanks for the question, uh, Doc. And so, yeah, I run an entity uh, here in Maryland called TEDCO. Uh, we do the early stage technology investment and support uh, here for the state of Maryland. And Early stage is anything from a, a napkin idea. Uh, we take napkin ideas, turn those napkins into concepts, turn those concepts into firms, turn those firms into scalable enterprises. And we provide funding and support along the way. Uh, so we do everything from early stage pre-seed funding, 250 to 300,000 with some support all the way through two to $3 million of, of, of check writing. Uh, and we do that for in, on behalf of the state of Maryland. So it is, it's a so combination of a, say, it's a venture capital yeah. firm with a purpose is, is the best way to describe it. Okay. So if I was to come right now as a middle-aged man uh, coming out of a pandemic with an idea, but nothing else, right? No, literally holds my shoes, um, you know, just kind of, I have an idea. I've worked in a business before. I've worked in some sort of company before or even not. I just have a drive, an ambition. I've looked at my life in the last couple of years and I'm thinking, I wonder, can this help me? How would you help them in that regard or can you indeed? Absolutely, and we love those types of individuals and we love those types of stories. And uh, we, we have we, what we call a pre-seed builder fund and we take someone like you just described and we get them all the time uh, and we coach them. Uh, sometimes we do, sometimes we have other people in our network that, that do that for us. We, we take that, that idea and help craft it. Sometimes we're not the ones to help craft it. We find those who can help craft it. We get that turned into what's called a, a proof of concept uh, or minimum viable product. That's just a term that we use in the, in the venture business. And once we have that, we can fund that, like I just said, at 250 to three, give them another coach that we would pay for to turn that concept into a firm. And then once they're a firm, we can provide other monies or find other people's monies as well. So you're talking about money now. We all like money. So what is it that, like, how can you, is, is the startup cash coming from you? Or you mentioned earlier on with regard to, you do it on behalf of the state of Maryland. So how does that work in the first, in the first stage money-wise? We have, yeah, the state funds us, but we also have some outside capital as well. But our, our money is on our balance sheet, if you will. So it's our balance sheet that we're funding them. Uh, and, and, and we do three things. Uh, we provide capital. Okay. Uh, we actually provide coaches to individuals and we also connect them to the ecosystem. So if they need lawyers, if they need other talent, yeah. uh, if they need access to a wet lab or 3D printing or computing resources or just a desk, all the things, anything that you so also need outside of just a check. You build their network and you interact with them as well. Absolutely. That way. Absolutely correct. And so, so do, do you stay with them other than, you know, getting this funding? Like, do you stay with them in a long term way? 
insofar as when they hopefully the startup then you know as you say from a napkin idea or whatever to a startup and then bang it does well how does the like the longevity of this project go and connection with you guys no we stay with them that's exactly right uh we, we stay with them all the way through so we normally we get uh bought out at the c or d or you know, pick an alphabet round. We, we're normally funders through the A, B round. And then when, if they are at that level of success, they normally are trying to, those investors are trying to buy out us early stage investors, which is, you know, that's our model. And so that's not a problem. But during that whole process, we stay with them. We have a firm right now, we've put a couple of million into them. We're still helping them think about wow. how to raise that next round of capital. All right. Okay. So presumably then the coaches then, if the person comes in with an idea, they may not have money management skills, financial backing or whatever. So then the coaches might come in or a specialist coach within your realm might come in at that very early stage and redirect. So the process might be different. Would that be true to say? It might be different for every you individual. Say, yes, it's very personalized. It's what they need based on their, our assessment of them and, their, and what they're telling us. And what you know, our history of un working with similar types of entities. Yeah. Uh, we'll we'll have a, a, a conversation, and then within our network, what we call network advisors. With one of our network advisors, we'll have somebody that meets the skill set that they need. Yeah, because I mean, it looks really impressive. Your website looks like ridiculously impressive. You've got a huge team of people. Like, we we'll definitely tell people to go to that for sure. Um, so what I'm interested now, you're, you're, with respect, okay. You're not 25 years of age. You might look at, but you're not 25 years of age. And now I know you like musicians that when they were 25 years of age, or when you were 25 years of age, was it I Stevie did. Wonder that you'd be like getting it on as such? Is that true? Stevie yeah. Wonder. Stevie Wonder is the most is the, one of the greatest musicians. Period. I just think he's one of the greatest musicians. Period. <laughs> I'm not going to argue with you there. So tell me this: so <laughs> music aside, and all the great times in life, and obviously success of business, making money helping other people. I mean, wow, that's wonderful. You get to a certain age, like how much is enough? And have you, where, where has there been a midlife crisis or challenge for you? Yeah, um, A, I appreciate the question. And, and before I answer, I want to comment on something you yeah. said at the beginning uh, in, your, in your intro. Yeah, go ahead. You mentioned the four or five stages. Sometimes people use seven stages of, of grief management. Yeah. And uh, I just recently, uh, with, a, with a, a friend of mine, wrote an article using the seven stages uh, as, an, uh, as, the, as the pathway that people are having to take now in dealing with and addressing uh, how to address diversity, equity, and inclusion or DEI efforts at their organizations. Because there is a, a level of grief, there is a level of acceptance, there's a level of anger that you have to progress through. And I think putting that emotional context to what people are struggling with as they walk through this DEI journey we, my author and I, my co-author and I thought was important. We've gotten a lot of great feedback, so it's, it's intriguing that you mentioned it as this. But directly answering your question, uh, you're right. Um, I have, um, I have, I've had this journey that I've had that that has included highs and lows. And I think mm. uh, one of the pivot or two pivot points that I think I want to quickly walk through uh, happened back in 2000. And so my wife yeah. and I, uh, three consecutive months, experienced a loss, significant loss. So started in July of 2000. In July, uh, my wife lost her grandfather. My wife is from North Carolina. We've been married now 26 years. Um, and she lost her grandfather who was a fairly well-known uh, minister there in North Carolina. She was very close to him. 
The very next month in August, <clears throat> excuse me, we lost my sister. Now, just a small little story with my sister. My sister and I are born a day and a year apart, July 18th and 19th, 64, 65. Yeah. That's scared with my age. <laughs> and uh, and um, she was born with sickle cell. And I, my sister, I probably spent more of a quarter of my life in hospitals watching my At one point, Doc, my sister had a 103 degree temperature for four consecutive days. And back then, they just put it between some refrigerator coals just to keep her cool. And so she suffered. So you guys were really close. You were tight. Very close. Presumably from the very young age. So she passed away in August. Um, and then in September, the very next month, my wife and I lost our daughter. My wife was praying at the time. Uh, we had had a daughter and I literally have still had the pictures of my daughter was born. She could barely fit in my hand. Camille, her name was Camille Lynn. Uh, we named her Camille Lynn. Still have uh, pictures of her little footprints. Yeah, we have a birth certificate and she passed. So three consecutive months of that uh, challenged us as a couple, challenged us, uh, challenged my faith. I'm a man of faith. I grew up a Catholic, yeah. actually wanted to be a priest. Um, and it really challenged us. And uh, I, I would I wouldn't even go to tell you we, we considered divorce. I mean, we just weren't talking to. Well, Troy, just hold that thought for a second because because yeah. it's interesting for me because yes, I was in a Catholic boys' school as well, and even though you're on one side of the Atlantic Ocean, I'm on the other. <laughs> I mean, even as you're telling that story, you're 2000. I'm thinking back to exactly what I was doing at that stage, and even on that summer, because I was in the United States for that summer as a student. So mm-hmm. we weren't too far away, and we're not too far away, be it through faith, but also through what you're saying is really interesting to me because I'm thinking straight away, and I'm sure the listeners and watchers of this and viewers of this particular um, brilliant, fantastic midlife opportunity <laughs> are wondering, like, how did you cope? Because I mentioned earlier on with regard to if you have the experience of uh, grief once, you can yep. almost kind of be aware of that the second time around, but this was like bang, bang, bang for you. And then the worst one was, I presumably the worst one is to come. And just even as you describe that, it seems like a person that's very, you know, close, obviously, but they're older. The second person is really close. And the third person is flesh and blood from a creativity point of view. It's almost like three generations. Mm-hmm. How did you cope in that regard? So um, four words. Um, John Palmer and Chuck Poole. Um, at the time, I was uh, the CEO of a family office called Gulf South Cap that I had co-founded with the guy uh, and his family, a guy named John Palmer. No reason no people that name, but Palmer uh, started Skytel, the paging company. And so he asked me to uh, start his family investment office, which is based in Jackson, Mississippi. And at the time, we were living in Philadelphia, outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So I decided to go, I was going back and forth. Uh, it's a long story there, but I was going back and forth. And I, I go yeah. down there and John introduces me to Chuck Poole. Now, Chuck Poole is the pastor of his church there in, in, um, in Mississippi. Chuck is one of the country's leading experts in loss. He's written a ton of books. This is how God works. Um, so Chuck comes and ministers to me. Um, and then my wife comes and joins me uh, This in November, right around her birthday in November. Chuck drops everything he's doing and comes and ministers us for a day. I mean, a whole day. He's with us. We're crying. We're praying. We're laughing. We're I'm, I'm getting emotional thinking about it. And it was to answer your question. It was Chuck Poole and it was God. Through It was God through Chuck Poole who, who saved us, saved our marriage, uh, saved me. Um, and I would tell you, if Chuck Poole called me right this second and asked me to come and do something, 
you wouldn't even, I wouldn't even ask the why to say what time you need. And the funny thing is, just just as you say that, you're getting emotional. I'm getting shivers, even though it's the, the which I referred to earlier on before this recording. It's, it's like the warmest day of the year here, probably the warmest day in many years. And yet I'm getting shivers from that emotional experience that you've had that you're, you know, and we're connected. You know, this is really, really important. And obviously yourself and your wife were intimately connected. But yet all of these things of these beautiful people that touched your lives, they were driving you guys apart at a time. So these great guys that you've mentioned have brought it in together. But what were you doing? Like the nine to five, you mentioned you touched on there where you were working at that. But like, what were you doing exactly in work? Um, was, was that prospering? Was that going downhill? Were you 24 seven? I was doing quite well. Emotional. Yeah, we, we was doing quite well. We, um, John, I was managing uh, the family office, which included uh, his personal investment assets, included a foundation, which I led and included a, a small venture uh, entity. Uh, that we had that invested in other uh, venture entities and we had direct investments as well. And, and I was doing a lot of stuff in the community there in Jackson uh, as well. And so uh, that was going extremely well. Um, uh, and I know we only have a few minutes, but I think it's important for me to, to fast yeah. forward real quickly because sure. it all yeah. ties together. So that was 2000. And so jump to 2011 um, and I get a call. My mom remarried a guy named Sam and Sam calls me and he says, your mom's in the hospital. You got to come home. And this was, uh, towards the end of uh, June of 2011. I go home, um, my mom sees me. She says, how the kids? I said, they're fine. And then she passes out and machines start beeping and everything. I never get to talk to my mom again. And so um, I, I spend the next couple of weeks fighting with hospitals to try to get a transfer to a different hospital. Finally get a transfer to a hospital at the, t the Houston Medical Center. Then they come to me. I go home for the 4th of July because we had a big deal we were doing with the family. They call me the night of the 4th of July. I said, Troy, you got to come back and make a decision. And so I had to make a decision to turn in my mom. And the reason I want to bring it up is because my mom over the years had always been asked to make a decision to terminate my sister because she had gotten so sick. But my mom never allowed. She forced them to find a way to cure my sister. And so I was faced with the decision. And, 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 and even to this day, I, I get emotional about it. It's 2011 yeah. because I, uh, but I was told, you know, she wouldn't live a quality life. They're going to have to cut off at least one of her hands, both of her feet, be on dialysis the rest of her life, you know, as a quality of life. And so, you know, I made the turn. We, we, we terminated her. We, we brought a bunch of family in and we were singing and praising God yeah. around her. And, um, and, um, and I tried to go on at the time I was working at Howard university. I was the chief operating officer there. And, I never forgotten, Doc. I uh, kept going, going, and going. Didn't take a time off, and I woke up one day. I just collapsed. I had a nervous breakdown. I had a nervous breakdown. And so you're saying that that's another challenge again. The nervous break, yeah, the nervous breakdown is another challenge because it's a reaction, obviously, from from all of this grief, from the pressure within the marriage. Even though these great people brought you together, had the expertise and so on. Like we've mentioned, though, the stages of grief, denial, anger bargaining mm -hmm. like you know you may feel vulnerable or helpless with bargaining but in those moments of intense emotions it's we're looking for ways to control things right so we also have like mm -hmm. depression acceptance which mm -hmm. one for you was the overlying one and even as you said the other couple of stages there in the seven <sighs> stages that you wrote about which one for yeah you that's, that's a great wings home that's a great question. I think part of it was because I'm a person, I was, it was the, it was the bargaining with God. You know, it's like, this is just not making, why me? Why, 
why am I left with carrying this? You know, why, you know, for me, my sister, and my mom were uh, who I grew up with. My dad was around, but not around, if that makes sense. And uh, he still is. But, you know, why the yeah. two most important women in my life uh, have been taken from me? And then my daughter, too. Um, I, I didn't understand that. And, and it was I was mad. I was angry. And I was trying to I think anger and bargaining. Uh, I spent a mm -hmm. lot of time and I think that uh, my soul uh, reacted with my body. And I think that is what caused the emotional breakdown. Wow. The soul reacting with the body, and we speak about music earlier on, and great music. I wonder, lastly then, uh, Troy, what advice would you give to any listener or viewer of this show, Midlife Opportunity, dot show? You can check it out on that on dotconnor.com. Also with me, you can get in touch at connor at dotconnor.com. And Troy is on this great website, which is, <laughs> Troy, you want to share MD. before I ask this question? Yeah, yeah, absolutely www.tecomd.com tecomd.com but to answer Tecomd. we only have a few seconds but i didn't give the question um, so you can't answer it so no but what advice would you give to people right now men that are going through some sort of perhaps they're waiting for somebody to die they're worried they're coming out of the pandemic what do you think have that have that if, if you're not a person of faith and i'm not trying to push my faith onto anybody yeah um but have some people around you that you can cry with, that you can laugh with, you can be real with, have them around you, uh, because you're gonna need that. You're certainly very real to us, Troy. Thank you so much. www.troyisbrilliant.com. <laughs> no kind of word brilliant that we always, we often hear in the US, but yeah, it's obviously, obviously a British word. But uh, techcond.com, you can get in touch with Troy there. Thank you so much, Troy. You've done fantastic things for people in Maryland and for all those people that want to get out there right now, want to start up, have an idea, have uh, nobody around them, just need the expertise, need the funding. Troy is the man to go to. www.tedcond.com. Troy Savell, thank you so much, my friend. We're going to be back after this break where you'll have another opportunity, not just to listen to the great Troy Stovell, but also to share your stories. I'll tell you about that and we'll wrap up on exactly what these five stages, six, six, seven stages, and if these individual stages are affecting you, how and what you can do with that. Until then, though, take the opportunity to come back after this break, this midlife opportunity that is, and we'll talk, summarize everything to help you get over your grief. We'll be back after this. This is what too much sounds like. This is what stress feels like. And this is what help feels like. If you've lost a job, worry about your next meal, or have trouble making it through the day, we can help. Text STRESS to 211211 to find a solution. Hello, and welcome back to Midlife Opportunity. What is your opportunity? I want you to avoid a crisis in life and come see life as an opportunity at midlife. This is one of the messages that that Lieutenant Oak McCulloch just gave us in this earlier 
part of today's show, Midlife Opportunity. That show is also how you can get in touch with us, or you can get in touch with me on docconnor.com. That's D-O-C-C-N-O-R.com. You can email her at docconnor.com. Why do I want your company? Why do I want you to come in here? Because I want to hear your stories. I want to hear exactly what's going on in your life. Right now, in the last couple of years, COVID, cost of living, with the war here in Europe, all of these things, these are challenges, but they can be flipped around, a crisis to an opportunity. We had Oak McCullough, who's 23 years in the US Army, who changed his life in around his 50s to make his life mean something so that he could lead others in a different way. He wrote a book. He wrote a book and he then went and pushed it out as a speaker and he helped others. He has told us all about exactly why it's important to be a servant leader. He mentioned empathy, looking out for others. And he even lived that in his choice, in his decision to become the speaker, in his decision to write the book, in his way of communicating to others, because he lived it in so far as his face. He changed religion. How many people do that? He looked at what was going on in his personal life with his wife and the fact that he wanted to lead his family in a way that he knew to be best for this world that we're living in right now. He also found from all of his dealings with religion that spirituality is really core to his servant leadership. And servant leadership is all about serving others, looking at, as we said at the start, empathy, community, and communicating in a way that's good for others that's not forceful but that does allow others to come in and help us so that we can make others leaders in return in turn as well like he has been led in the u.s army where he gave a fantastic uh, example and story of a great leader that helped him who was extra years in the army when he, he was 28 himself and gave him the tidbits of advice that was needed to become and accelerate to be the great father, the great leader, and the great person he is right now with his book and with his speaking. And so servant leading in the way that was spoken about there is so, so important. And it's something really needed in this world right now. But the interesting thing from a research point of view about servant leadership, it's very difficult at times to document exactly what's going on because it can be flawed. How can it be flawed? Well, the thing about it is, Unless the leader or the leadership project that is being researched, unless those people, those respondents, those surveyed, those interviewed and so on, are actually ethical in how they report things, then it's really difficult to quantify, to figure out how many people are becoming servant leaders, how many people are showing empathy, how many people are actually being the good communicators, the people to bring others into community. So it's really, really important for us to quantify things in our own life. And one of the ways we can do that is by when we're alone, just look at ourselves and make the decision that, is this the right thing to do? Am I looking around for everyone else in the community? Am I actually actively going to go out there and do something that serves not just me, but others as well? It's about being honest, being truthful, and being aware. And we mentioned that on episode one, but that's episode two, almost wrapped up. But until we go to episode three, remember our speaker today. Remember our great guest, Oak McCulloch. 
And you can check out his website at www.oak. Sorry, oak he is like strong as a tree, but it's actually www.ltcoakmacculloch.com. Leaders all the start of their websites, except for me, because I'm docconnor.com, and you can get in touch with me at any time. Also, midlifeopportunity.show. We want to hear from you, your your comments. Come on board. Let's hear from you. All right. So until next time, remember, on ngbnt.tv, we have got for you, my friend, the opportunity to come on television and tell us all what's going on, making your midlife crisis into a midlife opportunity. I will be there for you. I will support you outside of the station. You can communicate with me, Connor at .connor.com. I will be your accountability partner. And you will see life as a midlife opportunity. Until next time, as we say here in Ireland, slán. Bye-bye.